0: To, to my mind it's robustly unfair that women make 86 to 92% of purchasing decisions and are completely underconsulted in the production of business product because they're underrepresented in leadership are not sufficiently tapped or they're tapped without being credited
1: Hi and welcome to the SAS Revolution Show, brought to you by SAS Talk. I'm Irina Jambazova, Head of Content, Diversity and Inclusion, taking over from Alex this week. December last year, I attended the first ever SAS Equality Unconference, organized by the Women's Work Institute and held in Toronto, Canada. In a room of about 100 DNI champions and leaders, we had a day of fascinating stories, provocative ideas and discussions around diversity and inclusion challenges in SAS, On the day after the conference, I sat down for a chat with the founders of the Women's Work Institute and organizers of the conference, Kristen Leish and Anne-Edouard Gulli, to hear their thoughts from all the interactions from that day and to lay down some steps for pushing diversity and inclusion forward. Without a prior experience in SaaS, Anne and Kristen approached the industry for two very specific reasons. One is that they believe the intersection of services and tech which is something very much SaaS, is where the best results can be achieved in terms of fixing diversity issues. But also because as they reached out to leaders in different spaces to see if they would be interested in participating in a conference aiming to address diversity and inclusion, SaaS was where they saw incredible uptake. Both Anna and Kristen are equality champions, but as business strategists, they inherently believe that diversity and inclusion is a business objective above all, and it needs to be approached as such. In that, every company should start with why. Listen on to learn what problems SAS leaders experience when it comes to DNI.
2: One leader said to me, "Yes, I want to. I want to work on tackling this because my biggest problem is getting women in my C-suite. No problem at entry level, but I can't get them through the pipeline." Or another person said to me, uh, "Yeah, I want to work on this because." Even though I've shown my company that I can create a gender-equal team, they, for whatever reason, don't think they can do it in their departments.
1: Why diversity and inclusion remains an unsolved issue?
0: I think the problem has been, in most sectors, and I think SAS included, unimaginatively described. Until I think you can switch people's imagination on about why the problem matters here, wherever here is. And I think most... um, Tech sector niches, and SaaS being obviously a huge one, uh, define the problem mostly, as you described before, as a numbers game. Some quest towards making, I guess, representation or talent kind of broadly look like the community in which that organization is born and grown. But I think the why that matters is just very unimaginatively explored.
1: How should each business get to a clear why that will be more effective in bringing improved results.
0: You, ne- you need people in a room talking about what's going on with the business, what's going on with inequality or equality, what could we do differently, what's the point of intersection. Bottom line, and you need to be open to hearing what you hear, and you need to stop yourself from over-framing the questions, the conversation, and the answers, which is why you need an external party to hold your hand.
1: Improving the diversity and inclusion at both SAS Talk and SAS is something we will be putting much more effort in 2019 we have an incredible partner in this to support us zendesk we already have started taking stock pledge which you can read more about on our website and we look forward to many more initiatives throughout the year so stay tuned now on with the show Welcome to the SAS Revolution Show, Anna Durgali and Kristen Leash. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I've had the pleasure to spend yesterday with you at the SAS Equality pop-up and conference, but our listeners didn't. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you to briefly introduce yourself, tell us why you do what you do and you know, how the conference um, brings what, what, what you're doing. All right. Well, I can give you some
2: background on the conference. Uh, so basically, Anna and I are strategists, um, organizational strategists. We help leaders and organizations connect the dots between equality and um, prosperity. And we had uh, started working inside this SAS ecosystem, just engaging with some leaders there around the topic of equality and, and the lack of equality in that space. And we'd gotten a really warm response from leaders wanting to work together uh, towards creating sh- some solutions to the shared equality challenges that they were all facing within their organizations. And so we just kind of decided to respond to that desire and create a space and an event where they could do just that, come together uh, think hard, be provoked, uh, be challenged, and also bring their lived experiences and their professional expertise into one space and uh, work together towards creating some solutions, some next steps, essentially, towards making the ecosystem more equal.
1: And, and when you say strategists,
0: um, what, what, what do you mean? So for me, um, I started out in kind of public policy work, actually, in the health system in the UK. Uh, so I was in London. And when I started in policy, I got quickly frustrated by how kind of myopic it could be if you were working kind of one file at a time, and especially in somewhere like the health sector where all the problems are interconnected. You can't kind of separate one problem from the other. So you talk about continuity of care. You can't help but talk about You know, who's providing it and what their goals are and all of that. So I started really early being interested in kind of how systems work uh, and whether they work well at all. And so as my career progressed, I got more and more interested in doing kind of strategic public policy work. And then eventually that also became too myopic for me, and I got more into strategic planning. So my my most recent kind of day jobs were in strategic planning in large organizations, most recently in the City of Toronto's welfare division, uh, which is called Employment and Social Services Toronto. And yeah, so strategy for me is really about kind of, you know high level goals and orientation and alignment for an an organization. And I think one of the reasons that we started women's work is because we, we noticed and knew that um, a lot of the um, interventions that were trying to build equality or diversity and inclusion in an organization were completely not strategic. You know, they were kind of tactical, Limited time interventions, usually not in any way connected to a business's kind of core purpose, mandate, values. And, uh, you know, so we decided that we, that, you know, if organizations and sectors were going to become more equal, that we needed to apply some strategic thinking to how that was achieved uh, to build support in those sectors. And that's one of the reasons we focused in on SaaS as a niche rather than looking at tech. At large, Uh, we are looking at you know niches within ecosystems where there might be real potential to kind of more strategically grow equality.
1: But how did you first come across SaaS? You know, it it I completely understand why you chose Mm. SaaS, but how did you find SaaS, and how were you not intimidated? You know, not only are you tackling something quite difficult, which is diversity, inclusion, equality, but you're tackling this in an industry which is quite specific.
2: The way we found ourselves in the ecosystem is just the story of business development. To be honest, I mean, we were, we are a startup ourselves. Um, we we joined forces like about eight months ago, and in the process of trying to find our beachhead market, we we took a crack at SaaS. Now, what the thing that we have done in the SaaS ecosystem is something that both of us have done in so many different contexts. And essentially, what we brought to the space was just the fact that you know what problems exist here and in so many cases in so many sectors industries organizations problems are not they're not solved in a way that is effective and people aren't being listened to the people who often hold um the keys to the solutions and so we we saw both um a desire, like I said, within the space to work towards things. But I mean, speaking for myself, I am, I am no tech savvy person. You know, like I use SaaS products and I see their value and I see their potential. And I also see the dangers behind producing these things in ways that aren't reflective of, of considerations of all the people out there who are meant to be served by them. And so that was my personal kind of uh, desire that that fueled my desire to work in the space because I see the value of it. Um, Do I understand SaaS business models? Not necessarily, but do I understand the best way to solve some problems? Yes, I do.
0: I think funny enough for me, I don't see SaaS as any different than any other business, but I think I'm really a generalist and I think... I mean, if I took you through this, the odd steps in my career, you'd see that I was in all these different kinds of organizations. But to me, to be honest, they were all really the same because businesses really all just have people problems, you know, one way or the other, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, how, how is a business going to motivate its people to do, to solve the problems that it needs to solve? And what are the people problems that are getting in the way? You know, people talk a lot about technology being the kind of answer, but an all of my experiences in large systems where transformation happens, technology is readily available to solve the problem. And what's getting in the way of the problem actually being solved is the people that are stopping the technology from being useful or the technology not having adequately listened you know, to the people and, it, and their needs. And so for me, SaaS is just another expression of that. And I think the other thing is that the way we work, uh, we, we actually never really need to be experts in the industries that we work in. Because what we try to do is bring people into the room who are experts in their business. We're just good at finding the problems that really matter and the intersection between a business problem and an equality problem. The other thing about SAS that I and I, I said this at the conference yesterday that, you know, I think we found interesting. So we were experimenting with beachhead markets. Like we we picked a few areas where we're like we're just going to try this and see if our kind of methodology and our solutions is a right fit here and we also kind of intended to kind of alter and augment our methodologies sector by sector to see where those natural kind of innovations came in the way that we work and SAS we identified because i had this kind of obsession with women in the economy um which is one of the reasons that we started women's work um you know just the un the un the poorly understood power of women in the economy. And so for me, when you look at sort of women in entrepreneurship, you have women massively overrepresented in entrepreneurship and service based business. And yet if you go to any typical tech incubator in the city of Toronto, and I'm sure in many other cities around the world, a woman comes into that tech incubator and says, I've got this idea for a service disruption because my needs aren't being met in the service market. Uh, They're like, oh, this isn't a tech business. But of course, like all that, business probably needs is a tech-connected founder to help them turn that probably big solution into a tech solution, possibly a SaaS solution that really matters. Um, But that rarely happens. And so I see this kind of massive potential to Augment women's entrepreneurial potential and their ability to scale by paying attention to women's service based interventions. And so, for me, just oddly, and it might sound really weird, but I found SAS was at the intersection between women's interests in the economy and where business is growing in the economy. And so, SAS came up in that regard. Yeah.
1: That's, that's really, really interesting. And so, in the run up to the conference, say between the conference and kinda of that moment when you, you, you two decided, okay, we're gonna go with SaaS. I can imagine you had a lot of conversations with, you know, SAS leaders and diversity inclusion leaders. You know, what what were the themes that were kind of coming up that, you know, it was really interesting for you, especially as perhaps outsiders of the industry, to really observe as very common? We had well, number
2: one, we had no conversations with other diversity inclusion leaders leading up to this point
0: um yeah, the decision to host the conference was like a 24 hour period it was <laughs> it and was i mean it was a bit of a kind it, of flip switch we it, were going to we were going to speak in a saas connected event and then we decided to turn our mi- mini idea into a bigger idea
2: essentially yeah. yeah and i mean the 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 conversations we might have had with SaaS leaders really looked no more than a couple sentences on a linkedin message exchange but in those couple of sentences, you know, and we were trying to just ca- gauge the interest of leaders in working together towards solving equality solution, uh, challenges and their responses were so incredibly warm and
0: enthusiastic and fast and fast, which in, in many industries, I mean, we've, we've gone to everything from crown corporations to hospitals, to law firms, to, you know, and we send, introductory notes about what we do and we and so when we were exploring beachhead markets one of the ways that we were trying to figure out where where maybe we should go is where we had fast response rates and so when we reached out to sas leaders just with little the minimal linkedin notes that Kristen mentions we had, had i can't remember how many but let's say we had 15 responses within 24 hours and we thought oh there's something here, you know, there's an interest here. And and then we started to kind of just look around a little bit more and what was happening in the ecosystem. And we noticed that conferences like yours and conferences elsewhere were trying or just beginning really to tackle the issues. And so that told us that the ecosystem might be primed and ready to really more deliberately explore these issues. Um, but to be honest, we don't typically... We don't typically think through our work with other DNI leaders, and in fact, we may not think of ourselves as DNI leaders. I think we're more, in some ways, um, business thinkers and people strategists that just happen to be obsessed with equality. You know, right? What do yeah. you think? I yeah, I mean, I
2: would agree. Just even looking at you know my own t- career trajectory has been very unusual, but. Um, Everywhere I've landed, whether it's been deliberately or not deliberately, um, the work I've always done there has basically looked like establishing relationships, listening to people, learning from them, and the problems that they bring to me, considering those problems in a different way, bringing them back to them with some solutions and ushering them through to the end. And that's what we do. And it... um, Again, like yeah, we're together because we share a passion for equality, and we both arrive to that. In and for problems, ways. I and think for we, problems. I think we have an
0: obsession with problems more than anything. Yeah, we do. Yeah,
2: and and you know, in you, I, I will mention that when I was hearing back from SaaS leaders. They many of them were actually quick in their short responses to tell me what it was that was right in front of their faces equality wise. So mm. one leader said to me, Yes, I wanna help I wanna work on tackling this because my biggest problem is getting women in my C suite. No problem at entry level, but I can't get them through the pipeline. Or another person said to me, uh, yeah, I wanna work on this because even though I've shown my company that I can create a gender equal team, they, for whatever reason, don't think they can do it in their departments. They were enthusiastic and they could think of a particular thing inside like an their entry world point. Yeah. That, that mattered to them around this issue.
1: Right. So essentially really aware of what the problem is. It's not just a numbers game. You know, it's, it's, it's almost the next step. Because mm-hmm. it is, it is, you know, it is something that is, has been talked for quite a few years by this point, and there is a reason some of the most successful companies, some of the most successful tech companies, are happen to be SaaS companies. Mm. Um, and for example, I remember I was recently reading um, an article about the diversity and inclusion officer at Atlassian, and it's again all of these things which are not the. The, the lazy stuff, the, the things, the, the things that first come to mind. We've been through the first iteration of this. A lot of companies and people have given up on it because it's not easy. A lot of people have gotten frustrated with, we wanted to solve this. And, you know, in tech, we are natural solve, uh, problem solvers, but we didn't. So, you know, maybe there is no solution.
0: I think the problem has been in most sectors and I think SAS included unimaginatively described the extent to which people are wildly passionate about the problem anywhere. If you're not actually personally facing like a known equality challenge in your own life or in your family's life or um, is minimal until I think you can switch people's imagination on about why the problem matters here, wherever here is. And I think Most um, tech sector niches, and SaaS being obviously a huge one, uh, define the problem mostly, as you described before, as a numbers game or as a kind of some quest towards making, um, I guess, representation or talent kind of broadly look like the community in which that organization is born and grown. But I think the why that matters matters is just very unimaginatively explored. So, and I really genuinely have this like total confidence that when industries and sectors can like clock on to their own version of that why, which is really, for me, that's the heart of strategy. It's like that really resonant why, you know, that matters here, which I just think, I just think, you know, you think about a diversity training, so... What precipitates the purchase of a diversity training in an organization? Probably some kind of broad societal shaming or pressure that we have to do this, which is really not resonant. You know, Joe Engineer from middle of the organization is thinking, God, like, why the hell do we have to do this? Because no one is bothered to creatively explain the why it matters here, you know, And it's not just because, like, he's working next to an engineer that's facing an inequality challenge in the seat next to him. It's because actually their product, their service, the way they serve the market is just unimaginatively designed if they haven't solved that problem well, you know? And this is why like, on, on, this is one of the reasons I'm obsessed with women consumers, because it's like you know, in some ways, you kind of think like you shouldn't have to make a business case for fairness and equality. But to, to my mind, it's robustly unfair that women make 86 to 92 percent of purchasing decisions and are completely underconsulted in the production of business product. You know, their their ideas because they're underrepresented in leadership are not sufficiently tapped, or they're tapped without being credited, you know? And the problems that consumers have, you know, are problems that women have, right? And the same applies to visible minorities, the same applies to people with disabilities, all of whom are underserved, you know, with regards to products that solve their problems, you know? And so I just kind of feel like if you can find a way in a niche industry to bring disparate parts of that industry together to really, like, explain why that matters here, then, you know, the what are we going to do about it actually becomes, first of all, significantly more obvious. And secondly, significantly more resonant and connected to the business's really core purpose and reason for existing, you know? Which is why, you know, we describe ourselves mostly as a strategy firm because we're like, no, we're great at tapping into why a company or a niche sector exists and what it's trying to do. And then we find through those that audience the connection to inequality or equality because there's always a connection. <laughs> like there's, a, it, there's no need to manufacture the connection. It exists because businesses are built on people.
2: And can I give you a concrete example about this, the resonance that Anna's talking about? So in our in the survey that we sent out prior to the Solvathon, um, there was one respondent and they were con- they were in a purchasing role, so they were on an org side where they were the consumers of SaaS products, multiple SaaS products to run their department. And this respondent said, you know, I am she was she identified as female and she said, I'm really tired of these SaaS tech sales guys um, pitching me on their products and framing the value of the product in a way that uh, suggests they would really look good it would really advance my career, make me look good to my bosses if I got this tool in because it does this, that, and the other thing. Not only did she express that that sales technique doesn't work with her because when she looks around her organization, she doesn't see women in leadership. So she doesn't see that the same mechanism that might work for a dude, make him look real great and get him a promotion. She's like, nah, that that doesn't fit for me. But not only that, the tools they're trying to sell... They don't work for me. So I'm trying to give the feedback saying, yeah, this is great, that's great, but this doesn't work for me. And when she's doing that, she's talking to a dev team that doesn't have any women or anyone who, who understands what it is that she's trying to do. And so not only is the sales mechanism not working well and the tools aren't being built in a way that reflects her needs and the role that she's in, um, and so that's the, those are the sorts of points of connection and the points of opportunity for SaaS yeah. companies to so much better serve the people that they're trying to reach.
1: So is that part of the why, you know, that that idea, that business case of you know, if we bring in more diversity, we will create more inclusive products
0: which will serve a larger proportion of the consumers. Yeah. I mean, that came out of the Solvathon for this event. What came out was because we asked, what are the primary challenges your SaaS business is facing? And what we heard broadly in terms of themes was that SaaS companies are struggling to adapt quick enough to changeable market conditions. They're struggling to innovate fast enough, and they're struggling to scale what are often micro solutions to relatively micro problems to a macro global audience. And so you can for me the business imperative of serving the broadest possible audience is first of all really it's embedded in all of them but i really deeply see it in the last one so if you've got this niche solution for a relatively niche market but that may have multiple applications for a broader more diverse audience then equality on your team that could help you see those avenues for growth is mission critical how can you how can you avoid that reality you know
1: Absolutely. I agree with you. And and I think we're talking about this before that, you know, kind of that case has been made, but the issue is that it's been made in a relatively abstract sense of, of, you know, essentially what I just put forth. That's very abstract. You know, what do you mean, you know, more diverse consumers? Are we talking three more consumers? Are we talking three million more consumers? How is that going to affect my monthly recurring revenue, annual recurring revenue, whatever? So, what are ways that we can look at this business case in a f- much more um concrete
0: numbers data kind of way? I think and i we've said this in many in, in we we write insight reports for these solve-a-thons. I feel like we write this or a version of this in just about every insight report, which is the the business case lives within you know like. Trying to apply, and I think sometimes, honestly, there are days where I feel like organizations that have created the kind of meta business case for diversity and inclusion have in some ways, and it's not intentional, done a disservice to creating greater equality in organizations. Because, you know, like you described in your talk about don't give free women tickets, there's a lazy thinking. So it's like someone else has done the thinking about the business case, So we don't have to. We just know broadly speaking that women or people of color or whoever on our leadership team is going to maybe increase our ROI because of some big metadata that we're looking at. So let's do that because that's what it says. But it's lazy thinking, right? The business case, if you're really curious about it, really lives within that individual business. And so it's hard to make a practical response to the question without looking practically at an individual business or sector. But I can tell you that if you think about financial services as a very specific example, um, you know, you think about, like, I know there's some, you know, New York based subscription based kind of financial uh, advisory supports that are now being offered to women and basically sold to individual consumer females. There was a huge amount of research that I had been reading for years that was often published in HBR and other places about how underserved women were by financial services. So some clever SaaS entrepreneurs came up with financial services that both better understood and better served women's needs in terms of accessing financial advice tailored to them and their lives and their roles within families. And those companies were massively successful. And that's just... That's one very specific example of where you're looking interested in a particular problem to solve and you're thinking more broadly about who has that problem or a variant of that problem and where innovation comes from really having as many angles on who might be struggling with that problem as possible, because that's where those opportunities to scale emerge from. And so there's no simple practical answer, except that I honestly think one of the ways we describe what we do is we make change from the inside up, because I think the business case lives within all of the workers that are not having their ideas being fully tapped inside any Particular business who can see an avenue for growth that has previously been ignored because they don't hold power in their place of work, in their SaaS company, or whatever. And, you know, the, the ideas live within, the practical examples are always in the room. And so for me, it's like I feel like our job is to persuade people to just get us in the room because I have literally never been disappointed by the pragmatic ideas that come out of the room you know, that they're always there. It's always, I would say obvious, you know, when you bring people together and think about, okay, well, what are our biggest business problems? And what are our biggest equality challenges? And what's the intersection point between those two things? People give us relentlessly practical, concrete ideas, you know, because it's concrete and relentlessly practical. But I think, unfortunately, there's a whole industry of data that's kind of DNI data that's at like 350,000 feet. That doesn't really apply to any individual product or service that people throw around and use as viable data, but very easy for, you know, Joe Leader in a kind of fast growing but still mid-sized SaaS company to be like that doesn't really apply to us right now, you know? And so that business case is great for big corporates or wherever, but I really don't see the connection and it's lazy thinking because they've never brought people in the room to really explore where that connection might live. And they haven't really given it a chance to think about, Oh, could this be a business opportunity? And I honestly think like that's in in some ways that's a day's work to start to have that conversation. We're not talking about investing, you know, you know, reinvesting revenue from the last year to find that that out. We're talking about can an organization expand a day or a day and a half of thinking to bring people together just on that question and see where those opportunities lie? Because I think that's where the practical, really concrete examples live.
2: Building on what Anna is saying about how the business case lives inside the organization, Um, and also she mentioned, you know, like we, we just really need to get in the room and we'll show them how that is because often, you know, the people who hold the power in an organization are, are rarely the underrepresented people. And they're also the ones who have the loudest voices. And so what we show them when they let us in is the value that they can get from listening to those that they do not often listen to. Right. And we, one of our, uh, professional services clients they, they have this very thorny problem that they've been grappling with for over a decade. And they had a really clear idea of where they thought the problem resided in the process. And, and they thought, yeah, nah, you're not going to, you know, go ahead, go ahead and talk to our people that we're not listening to, but good luck. This, we know what the answer is going to be. And when we went in, we did a pre-survey, as we do, and then spent about an hour and a half with this population, and what they produced was something completely different from what those leaders expected to see. Not only was it completely different, but the tactical solutions were so actionable that when they were presented to the leadership, one of those... Um, partners, went out and implemented it the next day. He didn't have to ask permission. It didn't take a massive change management plan. And not only did he implement it the next day, they got positive response from a client about that action.
0: So SaaS companies are struggling to retain clients and customers, you know, and client customer acquisition is in all businesses. I mean, I remember this even when I was working in the charitable sector, you know, from, you talk about private donations, Customer acquisition for donations in the charitable sector is 10 times more expensive than customer or or donor retention and stewardship. And I think that exists in every business, that problem you know? Um, but, but especially sexy businesses, businesses that are in fast growth rates, they get very excited about customer acquisition and they fall down on stewardship. They fall down on how are we meeting your needs? Are we meeting your needs and your customer success population that really exists in SaaS, there are an amazing place to start with what, what's not working for your customers? What are you, what are the problems that you hear? You know, and I'm sure there are elements within SaaS businesses that are already asking those questions well. But I think when you couple that with who aren't we serving well and why, it becomes a much more nuanced and interesting conversation and an avenue to creating greater equality in those organizations that you may not have thought of. Like, it's definitely not about bias training. It's about who are we not hearing as we define, redefine, and solve the problems that our customers have and what could lead to greater stewardship and a broader market, you know?
1: What were some of the other insights for you from the pre-survey that you ran um, in the run-up to the conference? What, were there surprises? Were there confirmations?
2: Well, I mean, one thing that came out loud and clear was that a lot of uh, respondents mentioned, you know, inside our organization, there is rhetoric around diversity, inclusion, belonging, those sorts of, of topics. Um, and yet... There's not a linked uh, set of actions. So yeah, we talk about it, but we don't do anything. Or we talk about it and we don't do anything. And I'm pretty sure my leader doesn't actually think there's an issue here. So a lot of uh, lip service being paid, and that wasn't a surprise. I mean, we we see that all the time. But I think what was interesting to me was the fact that we were reaching out to a group of people who were already either natural equality champions or leaders in their organizations, or, you know, we were not like going into one org and finding this out. It was, no, we all already have this propensity for this equality issue. And yet, sorry, like I'm going to tell you, we're not dealing with these things very effectively. Yeah.
0: And you know, it was interesting at the end of the conference yesterday, uh, there were some folks there from Mars our you know, discovery district, uh, some, some of whom contributed to the, um, uh, to the conference, And they actually reflected that they were surprised by some of the Solvathon findings. And they had just released a tech for all report, uh, which is a whole kind of Toronto tech sector, um, um, you know, piece of data about diversity and inclusion, some of which was spoken about a little bit at the conference -conference yesterday. And they said, you know, it's so interesting that one of the themes was that leaders aren't bought in to the business case, because when we went and surveyed leaders... um, for uh, for Tech for All, they were just wildly supportive of being participant. And I said, well, that doesn't surprise me at all because in every industry that we work in, um, you ask leaders if they're bought in and they will say that they're bought in. But then you ask staff, especially frontline staff, junior staff, and staff that reflect a variety of different dimensions of diversity. And they will tell you, yeah, they might talk about it or it might be a PR initiative or we've had a few lunches this year but it's a load of horseshit. No one actually really is doing anything in our business about this. They're just talking about doing shit in our business about this. And there's a big difference. And so I said, so it doesn't surprise me that when you ask leaders, ask leaders, do they care? They say yes. The extent to which they're persuading their teams that they care is where the massive opportunity lies. Um, and where there's a big gap.
2: In fact, it's like, it's documented, like there's research out of Harvard's women in public policy program that shows that you ask a leader formally in a setting like a, like a survey or with someone on a call with him who, who has a vested interest in it. And you say, do you, do you understand the business case? Do you believe the business case? Is DNI important to you as a leader? And they'll say, yes, yes, yes. And then, you know, chuck him in a bar with a buddy and, and a (laughs) mug of beer. And his answer is meh. You know, so forget
0: chuck them in a bar with a buddy. I feel like 90% of the time when we have a first meeting, they're like, eh, yeah. I don't know if it's really a problem here. I mean, like we get a lot of yeah. those responses, a lot of ambivalence, you know, I just don't think that, you know, I mean, I sometimes joke that like if we collected our ambivalent conversations and just published them, that it would be sensational. But like, I mean, really, cause you know, these are also people that like the next day I'll see on LinkedIn, you know, just blasting about how some wonderful DNI event that they've led and how inspiring that was to them. And I'm like, really? Because yesterday when we were on the phone, you sounded a goddamn ambivalent about the whole thing. And it doesn't sound like you're doing anything at all. But I think that that kind of cognitive dissonance exists about these issues in every industry. And I think that all comes down, it comes down to a lot of things. It comes down to power dynamics and all of that, but it also comes down to resonance. Like how deeply has this issue shaken you to your core? Has it at all? Has anyone bothered to really try, including yourself, you know? And I think across most of this field, it's like a have to do, not an inspired to do, not a really curious about doing, not not a passionate pursuit to solve a wildly difficult problem.
2: I got into this work in this space because of... You know, the fact that, you know, we're not moving fast enough. We're not. And my own research took me into the spaces of, okay, like, design-based approaches, systemic interventions, as opposed to kind of like a cognitive behavioral approach to changing minds and then expecting those changed minds to change behavior. And... And the more I delved kind of into the research into this in the space, the more I found that, you know, a lot of the things that are being implemented in organizations, not only do they in many cases not work and they are proven not to work, but they can have the opposite effect of the one that is desired. Now it does not take a PhD to find that data and find that information, but we have many practitioners. And I say that with quotation marks, practitioners in the DNI space who, who don't know that when they run an unconscious bias training seminar, that it is not in any way going to lead to less biased decision-making. It doesn't, and the research is clear. And I think that Danny spoke to this yesterday, Danny Guillory of Autodesk, and he mentioned, you know, we we have to do this smarter. Uh, it doesn't just take passion and a will to do this work, because if you do things poorly, you're not paving <laughs> paving the way to a more equal future you are building a wall in front of yourself and we are seeing a decline in dni investment in the states in north america and i do believe that that is primarily you know well i won't say primarily but it is part of the part of that picture is the lack of imagination that Anna's is referring to and also the fact that a lot of b- what's being put in place doesn't work and who's going to throw more money at a problem if what you're doing isn't showing any dividend
1: The takeout for me from yesterday really was, I'm not going to get on the plane today and, you know, feel, you know, comfy and happy. Oh, I have these three ideas that we can implement. On the contrary, I have a lot more questions than I have answers. I'm not going to figure one this out today
0: or tomorrow. Made me smile yesterday because since I've met Kristen, Kristen's fixed my horrible branding problems with women's work because my initial attempts at using Canva were just really a bad scene altogether. But one of the things that was in my first logo, as I told you yesterday evening, was a question mark. So women's work was capped off with a question mark because I always felt like people actually, bizarrely, in this particular field that's all about a problem spent very little time talking about what the problem actually is we got straight to solutions and so for me i always know when an organization in any context gets straight to solutions that they're being tactical not strategic right diversity training is a tactic and it may work if it's connected and we heard that yesterday If it's connected and scaffolded with a very robust strategy of which that's just one part working in concert with other things that are working towards something that's very concrete. But in order to get to that right strategy, like any other right strategy, you need to ask smart questions. Like if you read any of the best strategic thinkers that write about how to get to great strategy... Really, they teach you how do you ask great questions. Great questions of a problem. Get great questions about an industry and a sector that needs to be disrupted or changed. Great questions about what is not being solved for now. And so, like any other place where strategy lives, the answer does start with really great questions. You know, um, about what matters and why. You know, and if you can get through that what can be an, a long process of asking good questions, I honestly think the right first steps and next steps and later steps become unbelievably obvious. And I think when Chris and I go into organizations, we can always tell when people are taking a tactical approach because they say, okay, we just we want action now. We're done, we're done. We've had a myriad of, of conversations. We know what the problem is. We need actions. And I'm like, okay, so if you've had a myriad of conversations, you know what the first action is. No, 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 no. We, we need you to tell us what the first action is. I'm like, I would like to start with conversation. No, 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 we don't have time for that. I'm like, well, if you can't tell me what came out of that conversation that has defined your next action, then you're not done talking to people yet. You might think you're done talking to people, but you're not. And I cannot come in here and give you some bullshit tactical solution if I don't actually understand your problem. I'll give you the wrong... I mean, I can give you that. I may mean, be nice to, to take more money home at the end of the month, but I won't. Because... It will be wrong. It will not help you, you know, because there are a myriad of tactics. And I think most of them are a strategic and many of them maybe could be strategic if they were applied to an actual problem and an actual why. But I just think honestly, throughout the entirety of these conversations, whether it's in SAS and in every other sector we've ever touched together and in every organization I've ever worked for. And I think Kristen, probably every organization you've ever worked for It's tactics, not strategy, that are ruling the day most of the time. And that is an inability to sit with questions and to really deal with whatever the hell might come up. You know, it's the fear about opening the can of worms. Oh, if we ask women or visible minorities or people with disabilities how they're feeling about their jobs and their ability to advance here and whether their ideas are heard and cared about and whether those ideas have been translated into product innovations or service innovations or what we say we are as a business in terms of our you know min specs they're afraid the answer will be never and no (laughs) you know so or that they're going to hear especially with women right now post me too a download of sexual harassment issues of violations of whatever and what always amuses me about that is I'm like me asking the question doesn't make that exist or not exist in your organization like if that's in your room it's in your room I don't need to ask the question to know that it's in you know for it to be in the room it's there if it's there you should know you know but I think organization after organization that we talk to you know are afraid of asking the questions and i honestly think that's why so far you know 8 billion dollars a year in the us uh, are spent on tactical dni solutions rather than strategic interventions you know
1: and it's also it also has to do with you know we talked a lot about roi and you know that need in sas for every action to bring a very clear return mm. and it's it's again it's how it's how the industry operates and you know we're very metrics driven and again with diversity just the way would say employer branding it becomes a very fuzzy thing to measure. Mm. Um, and when you have built your culture around measurement and clear ROI, then, you know, the likelihood of having the patience to see through the questions and getting the answers and figuring out specifically for you, because there is no playbook, you know, just the likelihood of that, unfortunately, decreases.
2: So there needs to be an understanding that to do this well, in the same way to do, like, to build a SaaS product well... Does require decent consultation with the people it's meant to serve.
0: All new industries begin very tactically, in some ways. I mean, actually, they start very strategically. They think there's a problem and it's not being solved? So there's a clear why, and then they get to a certain stage of growth where they move away from their why. I mean, like that was that came out of the solve What's the big one of the biggest problems in SaaS scaling with your values and p- and purpose intact? Right, it wasn't just about scaling; it was about scaling with your values and purpose intact. And so, what happens in all companies when they hit that kind of you know that that growth metric where you no longer have your workers sitting right beside the CEO? Now you have offices; you're globally reflected. You're you know like that connection to the why becomes increasingly diffuse. And if you don't solve that problem, your company disappears. And so. I, I, the reason I always try really hard to hinge what we do to where the business is trying to go anyways is I know if, we've hin- if we hinge it well to that, if we can find a way to help the business get closer to its goals with equality solutions, no one's going to walk away from our solutions. But if I fail to do that, they'll get through a three-month hump will come up with a cash crunch or a crisis and it'll be the first thing out the door. And all of the people that were bought into the intervention will lose hope and they'll leave and they will lose trust that the organization gives a shit about the idea. So that for me is why the business case. It's, it's not just because it's worth a waste of time kind of constructing a, Oh, there's good ROI. It's about saying the business case lives within. There is a reason that building greater equality on your team connects to building better products and services. We just need a minute to figure out what that is. And once we figure it out, we can create a set of interventions that connect with where your business is going anyways. So why wouldn't you invest in that? Because it's about getting to those ROI goals that you're heading to with technical innovations and other innovations and talent innovations you know, it's just part of that. And if if we can persuade you that it's critical to that, then you won't drop it. No, it's
1: hard because it, in itself, it's a hard thing to implement. Yeah. It's not. It's not a okay. You know, I'm gonna get this playbook or this framework. I'm, you know, I know that it's worked for someone else. I implemented, and you know, we're gonna have clear, clear results. But but I wonder, and you know, we're kind of coming to 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 the um, end of the show. But I wonder a couple of things. One is. And again I get it it really depends on case by case each company but you know what are as, as strategists you know having worked in in this for a while you know what's kind of the advice that you can give to someone listening to this being like okay you convince me fine i'm going to start with why you know i'm going to sit down and i'm going to do this what exactly can they where do they begin how 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 do they
0: you know what's something that they can do immediately So if that's a leader asking the question, if that's like a C-suite individual who's like, okay, fine, I'm going to look at this. I would say for me, it's about hiring um, an external organization to ask a diverse group of people. And I mean that not just in terms of like personal diversity, but in terms of like where they sit in the organization. Like, are you asking your members of your sales team, your finance team, your engineering team, your customer success people to come into a room um, and to tell you about their experiences in the organization from an equality perspective. I don't think you can ask these questions yourself effectively. And I think, and I know we're consultants and it sounds self, what's the word, fulfilling, but it's, but I actually genuinely find that this is this is an area that you you must outsource because why would I tell my employer? I mean, I I've been in this situation myself as an individual who was experiencing uh, glass ceilings in my career that were just obvious. And if I had been invited in my to my boss's office to talk about my glass ceilings, I would have said, hey. Eh, a little annoyed about this and that, but everything's really fine. And thank you so much for the opportunity. And I would have left out 90% of the truth because I would have been worried about my trajectory in that organization. I would be worried about being characterized as a troublemaker. I would be worried about being characterized as a complainer. And there are people all over organizations all over the world who feel exactly that way. And we talk to them every day. And so you need an external party to just start asking questions. I would not be inclined to invest in training first. I'd be in, you know, I, you can hire an organization like us. You could hire a strategic company. You could, or, or, you know, hire a strategic planning firm, people that are good at asking questions. That's who you should hire for a first couple of consultative conversations with no promise to action. I mean, we have a first offering called a Solvathon for exactly that reason, but there are, you know, I don't know other organizations that are doing quite that, but you, You need people in a room talking about what's going on with the business, what's going on with inequality or equality, what could we do differently, what's the point of intersection, bottom line, and you need to be open to hearing what you hear, and you need to stop yourself from over-framing the questions, the conversation, and the answers, which is why you need an external party to hold your hand. Because I think everyone has a natural protective instinct about their business, a natural inclination to kind of shape what they hear in that conversation, and you need someone who's strong enough to say, I trust that I will get great stuff out of the."
2: We've seen Many times, a, a leader say, "Well, no, we've done an employee engagement survey, or we've we've surveyed our people, or or someone recently uh, came to me and said, you know." <laughs> we got fantastic results from our survey and yet what I know because people have told me what they've heard around the water cooler is something completely different and for us, you know, courage and candor are two values that we hold as an organization and we find that those two things are often lacking in other spaces not because people don't want to be courageous and don't want to be candid but because even when you deploy uh, an anonymous employee engagement survey or something of the like they know who that's filtering through on the other side and if they don't feel like their organization and their leadership is a safe ear for that information to land on they are not going to tell you the truth they are not going to be candid and uh, I, I briefly worked or they be as,
0: unconstructive you know or, I, mean, yeah, I mean absolutely are, it, which actually can be as damaging because you end up with a kind of anonymous survey where you never really get to explore what someone means by this is a problem and the leadership see it they think oh that's a disgruntled employee I mean we're seeing this mm-hmm. in policing where you know women are being treated absolutely ab- abhorrently and people of color are being treated abhorrently and you know you I look at the the staff surveys and you get these very angry responses and then you get a leadership that's disconnected from that that's going oh you know no screw that that's just a bunch of women that didn't get what they want right so they're not even they don't even feel like they have to listen because so like you know, you have to be translators. I think actually Danny said that yesterday. You have to be translators, not just for the work of what is building an e- equality, but for what equality problems are and why they matter. And someone has to hold the role of doing the translation, not just from uh, leader's voice to frontline staff, but from frontline staff to leader.
1: Couldn't agree anymore. <laughs> but um, just as a, as a last question, you know, what stands out for you? of all of this. The entire
2: day was an activity in sharing and listening. And so I always want to jump to, I always want to jump forward. I always want to provide the next step. But I realized this was one, in a lot of ways, one big first step of listening and sharing.
0: What stood out to me was that, you know, we do this weird work of trying to bring lived experiences into the room in order to come up with a new definition of a problem and more actionable ideas. And what never fails to surprise me and surprise me yesterday is that I always think I know which direction that's going to go in. So in this room full of people that wanted to be prov- provoked to an action oriented place, what came out at the end of the day was we really loved having this conversation. And this is a real conversation And I literally, I think I said it in my closing remarks, I'm like, that's so funny because I feel like all of you came here to find action, but what you're all reflecting that you loved about it was being in a talking mode, not an action mode. But that said to me that a first real action anywhere is having a real conversation. There's there's, there's definitely loads of work to do and you know
1: as 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 any as any other big thorny problem we're only going to do this as a as a supportive community yeah totally couldn't well, agree more kristen anna thank you very much for this um lovely chat after what was a great event yesterday wish you all the best with you know helping helping SAS be more diverse thank amazing you. thank you so mm-hmm. much thank you I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SAS Revolution show and have picked up valuable lessons from Anne and Kristen about diversity and inclusion. Thanks for listening. See you next time.